Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of In the Trenches Sports. Sean Ludden, joined alongside by the coach, Chance Clemens. Coach, what's going on today? Not much, just another day and another beautiful sports day, especially. That is true. NBA draft finished up last night. Uh, you know, exciting first round there. Uh, just the other day, Wednesday night, we had uh, another exciting game uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. How about Colorado coming back to win that in overtime? A little bit of controversy there. Um, you know, I think if we were more into hockey, I think we could really go off into that topic right there. Um, Tampa Bay had some big questions about that goal, but from what I saw, it was it was a perfect goal. And then coming up this weekend, we'll touch on it with the coin toss, but the College World Series, we're down to the final matchup between Oklahoma and Ole Miss. And But let's get things started with the coin toss. And the first topic for today is Arch Manning, the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning, the son of the proclaimed most athletic Manning who never got his shot, Cooper Manning, Arch Manning has committed to Texas. So, heads or tails, will he lead Texas to the promised land in the SEC? I'm going to say tails. I, it's a great pickup for Texas. But Texas cannot stay consistent when recruiting. They bring in top-level talent year after year, and they can't do anything with it. They can't produce anything. And I'm going to go ahead and just give you the bold prediction right now. Arch okay. Manning never touches the field at Texas. And this ne is why. He, he, he never plays for Texas, and this is why. He's there. He still has one more year of high school. So you still have uh, Ewers, Ewings, um, has what his freshman year. So he's a redshirt freshman this year. So he'll play this year. If they do not win nine games, heck, I'll say if they don't push and make eight, that seat starts getting hot. Because Texas does not like losing, and they don't like not being relevant. And so if they don't start winning this year and turn things around, that that seat gets hot. And then if Manning comes in and your quarterback already had a great year his first year there, which is another whole side note and a whole other um, idea and perspective on that. But if he has a good year, Manning's going to have to redshirt. And honestly, for the betterment of the team and himself, he should redshirt and not play as a true freshman. Mm -hmm. And if they struggle, either one, you put Manning out there and watch him possibly struggle or two, he sits, stays healthy, doesn't take the risk of getting hurt, uses an entire red shirt, 
and I'm not counting the four games he's legal he's allowed to play and still be Richard. I'm not going to count that. If he plays those four games but still Richards, the whole season's a wash. If that makes sense, it does. So, so I don't think he's going to play because if they struggle two years back to back again, they're like coach is out of there. The staff's gone. He's looking to transfer. You think Sarkeesian's going to be up that quick? I mean, that's a three year. That's four years. Because he had this year, he struggled. If he struggles next year, and then okay, sorry, that's three years. I maybe they keep him for a fourth, and you just hope that Manning can lead the way to ten wins. But if you don't hit eight wins at least this year, that seat starts getting hot because then you start questioning the recruits he's brought in, and he's made some big recruit push. But this is the thing we've seen Texas being bring in big recruits before and they haven't succeeded with it it's true and so i mean how many years were they in the top 10 top 15 of recruiting year after year after year but they weren't producing even mac brown's last couple years they were one of the top schools in recruiting but they weren't producing so that's why brown got the cut then Charlie came in. Charlie had a couple good recruiting classes. Couldn't make the cut. So he's gone. So it's And then bold. you had the you had the Tom Herman debacle. Exactly. Like that, you know, Texas was back for a whole 30 minutes. Yeah. You know. But it's bold. Yes, I see Manning playing for Texas and it's a it makes for a great story if he if he makes the run and everything, but there's part of me that wants to take the shot and say he never plays for Texas. And I'm only saying that because of the coaching seat. If the coaches change, then I think he sits down with his dad and goes, what other opportunities do I have? So I'm not sitting here trying to face another coaching change when I want to be in the NFL in two years. Well, and I think he so. redshirts, he only has to play for two years, and if there's two solid years, he's gone. I think something you've got to look at too, if you're Arch Manning, is looking at the draft at the you know your 2023 you know class that you're going to graduate high school with across the nation. You know, look at your other quarterbacks. You have Malachi Nelson, who's already committed to SEC. And, you know, these are all verbal commits. Nothing's inked on paper yet, so everyone could still change their mind. Um, you have the number three recruit, Nicholas uh, Imaliva, you know, from Long Beach Poly. And people are saying he's even better than Arch Manning. I don't know if you've watched tapes on this kid, but if you haven't, you need to. Um, he has got himself an arm. He's 6'5", 195, and he can sling it, he can run it, and he can, he's got a great field vision. Um, lighting up the camps across the whole entire summer so far. He's committed to Tennessee. Dante Moore, the number four quarterback recruit, um, you know, he's going to Oregon. You've got Jaden Rashada, number five. He's going to um, Miami. And then Jackson Arnold out of Denton, Texas. He's uh, committed to OU already. So, I mean, just looking at that right there, if you're Arch Manning, you know, you've got your uncle's alma mater, 
already spoken for with a great potential quarterback. So really you got to look at what other schools could be a viable option. And if I'm Arch Manning, Texas right now kind of potentially has the best fit for him. Arch Manning, you know, is a guy that's kind of more like a Mac Jones. If we're looking at, you know, most recent quarterbacks at that college level and look what Sarkeesian did with Mac Jones while he was in Alabama meshed well together, had a great offense, was able to sling it down the field, get a national title. And, you know, if Manning and Sarkeesian can do that in Texas, you know, they could potentially, you know, potentially, I'm not saying they're going to do it, but potentially contend for an SEC title, you know, in their first couple of years. But that's if everything goes according to plan. And like you said, there is a lot of variables still in the way. And that tech, you know, the Texas crowd, Texas fan base and everything, they're they're right up with right up there with Philly fans. If you're not winning, they're going to let you hear it. And they're going to take to, you know, any type of media, you know, press, anything. They're going to do it and make their voices heard and try and get you out of that position. No, that's perfectly agreeable, and I com- I understand. And I – I is he highly rated because of his name? That oh, I'm far. sure that has 10% to do with it. And that's because his grandfather, his two uncles, are successful quarterbacks, so they're going to teach him, if they haven't already – how to understand defenses and schemes and coverages and well, you, to, have, you almost have to assume that he's been you have to almost assume that he's been to every single Manning camp since he could walk and talk. He's probably been watching film, you know, since you know he could eat a bowl of Cheerios. Yeah, you know, he's been and he's he been start, living, well, eating, and breathing football ever since he ever since he came out of the womb. You know, this yeah, kid has been, been taking it serious since middle school. Yeah. And I don't think people realize this. And it, and it's mostly due just because of who his dad is and the time frame it was at, because it would have got more coverage in today's um, social media world. But his dad was a phenomenal athlete and was the most athletic out of all of them. Yes, And he played wide receiver, and he was a freak athlete who was going to go play college ball and had a freak accident and a freak scenario where he couldn't play anymore. So athletically, he's he's better than oh, – probably half of the quarterbacks that have been drafted in the last two years. Uh I mean, the only people right now that I would maybe say are more athletic are Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. And that's pretty much it. You know, so. Yeah, I, I love the hype and love the excitement around Arch Manning and I'm not going to play it down. I'm excited about it too. The Manning I'm really excited for just finished up his freshman year of high school and it's Hyde Manning, his little brother. 
the center. Yeah. Freaking amazing. Going to be a great offensive lineman recruit, you know, in the coming years. And, you know, if he that, keeps up what he's doing, ooh, there is a lot yeah. of potential there for him. And that brings up a, a good point of how is his brother going to be recruited and, and sought after since he plays center and not quarterback? Exactly. So that's going to be nice to like compare in a couple years of how this is all going to play out. It'll it'll definitely be one that it's uh, it's going to be fun to see how it plays out for sure. Um, you know, we've got one final year of Arch Manning in high school. Um, early signing days in December, uh, so we'll see what he does then. If not, he'll wait until February to uh, do the actual letter of intent. But I'm sure it'll be December when he actually signs. And uh, I don't see him to do one of theatrics um, like most kids. But he might. Uh, yeah, he might. And just to point this out, for what I'm seeing on 24-7 sports, right now, Georgia does not have a quarterback verbally committed that's ranked in the top 50. Alabama has one. Uh, Eli Holston from Zachary, Louisiana, which is a prominent school. Mm-hmm. You know, Old Miss. I don't see them on the list right now. So it'd be curious. I think Georgia is the next is the is the second school, and I think that's because of Smart, because um, he has a re- a relationship with Smart as well a little bit. But I, yeah, I just want to keep an eye on that as well. Just I mean, I, Georgia if, rank quarterback wise right now. If you're Arch Manning, I think no matter what, if you make another decision and decide to go away from Texas, I think you have to, you're going to stay in the SEC no matter what. It's where the whole entire family has been. It's where the Manning legacy lies. And it's time to write yourself your own chapter of that legacy and, you know, can he do what Peyton and Eli didn't do? And that's to win SEC titles and that's to win national championships. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. You know, let's see what nephew can offer. But we've got a little bit of time till that happens. Um, next coin toss, I'm really excited about Chance. And again, we're talking about a team that's about to go to the SEC, and this time it's Oklahoma. The women just came off a victory in the uh, softball softball World Series against Texas, another about-to-be-SEC team. And now the men are going to start the College World Series final round against Ole Miss Saturday at 6 p.m. Central. So heads or tails, Oklahoma will take the clean sweep of the men's and women's college world series. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take the shot and say the underdog is going to win right now. They they're hot with their pitching and for everyone that I've talked to and that I know that knows baseball, 
is baseball comes down to who's hot and who's pitching the best. And right now, they've got three pitchers that are killers. And if they can maintain that for the next week, they could be looking at their third national championship. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Could be the third national title. Each time they've made the title round, they've won. 1951 and 1994. So you have to think about that. Only twice have they made the title round, and each time they've won it. So undefeated right there. Bodes well for Oklahoma. You know, I'm going heads. I think they will win it as well. The momentum, you know, is just there with this Oklahoma team. They've – it. there's just something with baseball. Once a team has that momentum, you know, it it really goes – especially in college, you know, it it goes a lot farther. Um, You know, you see it in the pros as well. Go back a few years ago when the Royals were on their run in 2014 and 2015. You know, the Royals had the Rally Mantis. I don't know if you ever saw that. But as a praying Mm -hmm. mantis they found, found in the dugout, that was just hanging out on the caps and everything else. And the night they found that Rally Mantis, they came back from a major deficit, won that game, and then went on a winning streak as well. I mean, so baseball has its little quirks. There's unwritten rules and everything else there. But right now, Oklahoma has the hot pitching, has the hot bats. They've got the defense to speak for it. And I I think this might be a two-game sweep. I think this ends on Sunday. I don't think it's going to go to Monday night. I'm not going to say that because I'm not going to jinx this. I'm going to say it's a three-game, and it's going to be a nail-biter. But – I will say this, and I think it's pretty funny how OU's softball team for years has been known for great pitchers. And then, of course, this year we had the amazing, like, hitting that no one could dream of. The best offense ever in softball history. But I think our our pitchers in the – the phenomenon of having great pitchers year after year has kind of carried over to baseball through this little month of just our three pitchers just doing the best in the nation right now and just killing people. So if we can stay on top of that, we should be able to pull this off. It'll definitely be interesting to see what happens. Again, you know, Oklahoma, Ole Miss square off Saturday. 6 p.m. Central. That's on ESPN. I'm not trying to do an ad though or anything else there. I'm just saying tune in. It's going to be a fun game to watch. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to tune in and uh, have me a cold beverage while I watch as well. And who else doesn't love a cold beverage than our man Gronk? And we have to, we've got to toast one up for him. He, he has retired again. And I think this kind of brings us into our next subject. One, is he going to stay retired? Two, what is Gronk's legacy? And three, I think this is the real question everyone's asking. Who is the GOAT of tight ends? And what, where does Gronk rate, rank on there? And what about Travis Kelsey right now, too? Great. Gronk stays retired. I think for his cell, for his health, and for his likelihood 
the best thing for him is to stay retired, go into broadcasting, and be the funny guy on TV. And he's oh, a great I, role in. I don't think he goes into broadcasting. I think he goes to WWE. I, I think he does that for fun. But I think, because he was on TV and they brought him in as like the fifth guy and he kind of made jokes and told little stories and kind of gave you like the fun aspect of football of like what's going on. And I think he could do that too and do it again. The only thing with WWE is he got hurt again and he's wore out more. So unless he's going to stay on a more strict healthier diet of staying clean for a little bit and really working on his body to stay healthy and recover. I think his stint with WWE is kind of over. You know, he might do one or two specials again, Uh but I think the real thing is he's going to be a one be a funny guy at the table, which there's a lot of sports shows that need that, especially with football. So, could it be with the timing of everything? Could he potentially join the Amazon Prime Thursday night football cast? We just had another retiree, Ryan Fitzpatrick, join it. Tony Gonzalez is going to be on that. You know, is there enough room for another great tight end? I, I don't think so. I don't think so because you had the more serious and more. And I'm not saying Gronk doesn't understand football. Like, the dude made it to the NFL not just because he's an athlete. Like, he has a little bit of understanding. He plays dumb, I feel like. Like, he's smarter than what people think, I think. Oh, yeah. But I don't think his personality would work with Tony and with um, Ryan. Because Ryan's already the guy that's too cool for school. Oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is freaking Harvard grad for crying out loud. Exactly. But his personality, I think he's a little carefree and he kind of makes the dry humor jokes mm-hmm. and the way he says stuff. And so I think that's going to be the perfect fit for him and Tony because Tony will pick up on it. The thing is, will Tony bring it up and recognize it publicly? And so, because we know Gronk, Gronk is going to be Gronk. He's going to say it out loud. If he picks up on something, he's gonna laugh about it on set and like and make it a big thing. I I think he's gonna be a better fit for Fox Sports for their morning show possibly and replace Tony because Tony was on or was Tony on no Tony was on CBS. Sorry. So, so Tony was actually on Fox. Um, Tony was on that first kickoff show before you get to the one where it's Howie and Jimmy and Terry and yes uh, okay yes because they were outside weren't they yes and so one's outside and then they go to the studio with everyone else exactly okay so I you know I kind of see Gronk fitting in well um you know like you said maybe with Fox Sports but Fox (sighs) seems more realistic and more like your everyday type of guy wants to watch that it's not yes buttoned up suit and tie and you've got to be professional and you can't say this and you can't say that like they have terry bradshaw on fox for god's sake like the dude is 
he forgets his lines half the time and he makes fun of himself for it and everyone loves it because he's real. Oh, yeah. And so I think Gronk becomes the next, like, quote, Terry Broadshaw of being the funny guy. And like you said, that, that early position kind of probably fits better with him. So now that we've got Gronk's future laid out, you know, I think we've got to look at the legacy he's left behind. You know, we got to look at the stats um, of his career. So if we look at Gronk, uh, he has, so he played 2010 to 2021. Uh, 2019 season, he was retired. And real interesting fact with that one, while he was getting ready to quote unquote retire, New England was going to trade him off to Detroit. He did not want to get traded to Detroit. So the way that trade was vetoed is he's like, whoa, hey, you can't trade me. I'm retired. And that's how we barely missed Gronk becoming a Detroit Lion going into the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gronk and Matthew Stafford, that might have been a good matchup. I, I would have liked to see that, but Detroit would not have been able, you know, to feed Gronk, you know, it, it would not have been a good match. Um, then the last two seasons, obviously he was reunited with Tom and Tampa. Um, so you had an 11 year career, you know, um, looking at it stat wise, 621 receptions, 9,286 yards, 92 touchdowns and you know this one's probably a few hundred or maybe a thousand off but going to throw it out there just as an estimate probably 718 keg stands (laughs) i mean this dude loves to party i mean he went to number one party school arizona at the time absolutely so gronk's legacy i mean you have when I'm looking at this legacy for Gronk, he was a physical down and dirty tight end in the red zone. He could get open. He could manhandle a guy and find that open spot in the end zone and was reliable for Tom. You know, um, when it comes to more wide open in the field, he could do it. But where he really shined was in the red zone and you know, I, I don't know about you, Chance, but, I mean, it's hard to find a tight end like that anymore. Yeah, it, it's hard. And tight end is one of those rare breeds of you're big like an O-lineman, but you're athletic like a wide receiver. And mm-hmm. it almost became – there was a period in time where it was literally, if you were tight end, especially early on, you were basically just – the sixth alignment. Exactly. You were just, you were there just to block. I mean, I yeah. think you, you got to go back and look at some of the pioneers of the position and you got to go way back and look Ditka. at Mike Ditka. Hey, thank you. Look at Ditka. Look what he did with, um, you know, when he was playing that position, you know, and then fast forward a few more decades, look at Shannon Sharp, um, 
Then obviously Tony G came into the mix while Tony G was still in there. Antonio Gates came in with the chargers. Um, you know, and as Tony G was starting to leave the league, Gronk came into the mix and that final year, Tony G left is when Travis Kelsey got drafted, you know, and then can't forget about your boy, Jason Witten. Yeah. I'm, it's it's amazing because tight ends have evolved so much to where they're almost just heavier wide receivers. But Tony uh-huh. Gonzalez, well, really, Shannon Sharp was one of the first that was so athletic that it was he was your more main... what he could do exactly, and he he could block at times. But he was the type of tight end, like you said, that was athletic, could shed the block, um, you know, shed the defender, get open, juke the secondary, wasn't afraid Mm -hmm. to be physical either, and could get the job done. You know, and then when you you had Gonzalez come into the league, Gonzalez, you know, this is – Gonzalez brought in a new era of tight ends because it was a, the basketball um, converts, you know, the guys mm-hmm. who used to, who played basketball in college, you know, the scouts started realizing, Hey, these guys, they've got the big, tall, lanky bodies, you know, but a strong base. Why don't we try and convert them over to tight end? You know, one, they were probably just thinking, Oh, Hey, you know, if he doesn't work out so well, then we just got ourselves our sixth alignment. But with their hands and their mobility and their footwork and everything else, I think scouts and coaches were seeing with these centers and the post players in basketball that they could potentially have another great, you know, receiver slash lineman on their hands. And that's what happened with Tony G and Jimmy Graham, you know, was another one to throw out there and Antonio Gates, you know, all these guys, six, four to six, five, you know, build you know, Gronk six six um Travis Kelsey six five you know they they just started a different breed of tight end and it was so fun to watch and grow up with that just seeing you know myself the battle each week between Gonzalez and Gates whether they were playing each other or not you know, I was always flipping channels and everything, seeing, you know, I was religiously watching my Chiefs, but I was always flipping over to ESPN, you know, for that Sunday wrap-up to see mm-hmm. what Antonio Gates did. You know, what – did he outshine Tony G, or did Tony G just go off? And, and because not only did – were was it the two tight ends just controlling the game? they had two great running backs right behind them as well that they were blocking for and also misleading the defenses for as well. You had LT LaDamian Tomlinson on the chargers. You had priest Holmes in the backfield and you started then getting into Larry Johnson. Uh, people are going to really go off on me on this one, but Jackie battle, he was good at times for the chiefs, really underrated player there. And then Jamal Charles. Yeah. I mean, those those offenses just built around the tight end position. I, I I mean you could say built around, but they just mesh so well. It, it was exciting football. It was, and 
I'm looking at Shannon Sharp's stats. And he was kind of the first version of Gronk. Uh-huh. And if you put him in New England this past decade, his numbers are pretty identical to Gronk. He's played 40 more games, 45 more games, which Gronk was injured a lot. Yes. He he has 30 less touchdowns than Gronk. His average yards a game are 11 yards less, almost 12 yards less. He has roughly 200 more receptions. Yeah, so I'm so and about a thousand more yards. Exactly. So you're you're at you're they're about the same. And if Gronk stayed healthy for his entire career, he's probably looking at Antonio Gates receiving yards yes and he might be pushing the most tied most touchdowns by tight end because he's only 14 off of antonio gates if he stayed healthy and he made up 45 more games that's that's literally his entire like career of missed games pretty much and he scores, what, a touchdown a game almost? Well, he's 24 touchdowns off Gates, but still, I mean, that's that's still, you know, close. Um, yeah, and I mean, CBS Sports has it where he averaged a touchdown every 6.6 catches. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. And that that just shows you how efficient that New England offense was when they got down in that red zone and who Brady was looking for. Yeah. And the a defense could not stop it. They knew once you get in that red zone, it was going to Gronk. But the defense exactly. could not stop it. And when you have, you know, an unstoppable force like that, you're going to continue to go with it. I mean, look at the Chiefs and Travis Kelsey what they've been able to do the last couple seasons. And it's not Kelsey in the end zone. It's Kelsey in the middle of the field, getting open and getting the amount of yards on a big play and being able to juke the defenders. They can't defend that. No. And, and Kelsey can get anywhere from an eight yard catch and fall for just a nice reception Mm-hmm. To a 20, 25 yard play and making one or two guys miss and win and the he's game. Out the door. Yeah. Now, and we saw it a couple times this I, year. Yeah. And I'm interested to see how that's going to convert with Tyreek being gone. So now your emphasis is more on him. Juju's great, but he's a possession type guy. You oh, know, yeah. you brought in, you're bringing in uh, Scanley. We haven't seen him be consistent enough to be a top-tier guy yet, I don't think, in my eyes. So it's really going to fall on Kelsey to what can you do that your your speedster's gone? And now you're, you've got a safety looking over you and two linebackers, or you've got a linebacker and two safeties looking at you because you ran a deep route, a deep dig or something. So... 
and another point to this, it also depends on how the coach utilizes the tight end. Yes. If you've got a coach that doesn't utilize a tight end, like the New York Giants with Jeremy Shockey, Heath Miller was a great possession tight end, but they didn't focus on him much because you had the bus at running back. With the Steelers, yes. If you needed three, four yards, hey, let's just run it. We're going to get it. Why not? Why You don't need to drop it off to him to get, make the catch to get the first down like Dallas had to do with Witten all the time. For a lot of times, that's what Dallas' offense was, was dump it to Witten, he'll get us five yards. Mm-hmm. And, and as he aged, it was catch and fall. That was Witten. Hey, he caught it. He'll fall two yards. Fall for two. And I think that's what's nice with Gronk is Gronk's getting out now while he's healthy enough where he's not having to just catch and fall and not get his knees taken yes. out or get his shoulder, you know, popped out of socket again and busted open. Kelsey's still in his prime and he's the same age as Gronk. Kelsey's in great shape. See, and he that hasn't been hurt. So he, he can easily probably get to Antonio Gates type numbers with his receiving yards. And see, that's another question I was going to pose for you. How many more years does Kelsey have left in the tank? Because if you're looking at it and looking, compare Tony Gonzalez's years. Gonzalez played for 17 seasons from 97 through 2013, 12 years in KC, five in Atlanta. Don't talk, don't, don't talk to me about those Atlanta years. Still not happy about that. Um, but, you know, he was drafted at the age of 21, and he played, mm-hmm. until, he played until 37. So, I mean, if we're looking at age, Kelsey's 33 now. You know, he's going into his 10th season. How much more does he have left in the tank? How many more years could he go for? Is when is age going to start being a factor for him? Um, exactly. You know, and that's something you've got to start looking at now, especially with these guys coming out of college, you know, and playing this position is a lot of them. Some guys like Kelsey, you know, are coming in a little bit older in the league. Others are getting the league when they're still young. It just kind of depends on the route they took to get to college, but then also what happened in college too. Yeah, exactly. And I think, Kelsey has five years. Now, is he going to be elite for five years? No. I think he's elite for two years. Possibly one. But I think realistically, he's got two good years to still be a top five type guy. Top 10, probably three years. Top 15, five years. Maybe He can maybe push five years for top 10, depending on how it falls out. But if you give him the same type of injuries and stuff Zach Ertz has had, hmm. he probably has the same numbers as, as Ertz. I mean, he's paid, he's played nine games more, but Zach Ertz has been beat up a lot in Philly. He has. And now, now he's gone to Arizona where he's got a quarterback that's more mobile, that kind of fits with him a little bit. So he can make the plays, and I could see Ertz having a 
his career being rejuvenized. And I don't think Ertz is going to be in Arizona long. I think he's there for one or two more years, possibly. And then he's at his third stop for his career. And that'll be the end of his career. But because they just. I, I, I think after Arizona, Ertz is done. I think after Arizona, Ertz is done until he's going to retire. I don't think so. I think someone's going to pick him up, kind of like the Jimmy Graham thing where. You know he can catch. He's got a good frame. If you can get him the ball, he's going to catch it and get you a couple yards for a possession. But could it also be a situation like with Greg Olson? You know, Greg Olson was, you know, at, towards the end of his career, great veteran guy, you know, in that Carolina locker room. But then you had a young coach come in like Matt Rule. And – it's just one of those things where it's, hey, I'm the young coach. It's my way or the highway now. Either you do it this way or see ya. And Olsen was just like, nah, I don't want to play that game. You know, all these guys, they look to me as leadership. Um, I'm not going, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that with you. So see ya. Is that maybe something Ertz could potentially run into? And I, I think it is. You know, if he is to go to another team, you know, because if it, if it's another team picks him up at the end of his career, it's going to be a team that is looking to rebuild to get some vet, veteran leadership, but it's going to be with a new coach. And is that something Ertz wants to go through? And I, I don't think it is. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking this while you're while you're saying that, if Ertz retires, not retires, his next place. I think he has a good shot at landing at a at a Jacksonville Jaguars facility. Maybe um, I just blanked on the school or the the organizations. I can't think of it, but I, I think it's somewhere like that. Miami, sorry, that was the other mm-hmm. place. Miami maybe brings him in as a second tight end. Jacksonville brings him in as a second tight end. A veteran leader just need a second tight end to kind of teach the young guy, but let him come in and still you can still go five wide and put Ertz as your your stand up Y and let mm-hmm. him run a five yard drag route. You know you're still gonna I don't you're you're still gonna pull away a linebacker from him. So I I could see that depending on what happens with Arizona, if he gets a, you know, an explosive full year under Kyle Murray and stuff, I think he could have a, res, a, a new career kind of. Uh-huh. And depending on how well McBride transfers to the NFL, depends on how long Ertz is going to be there. Um, you know, if McBride succeeds and has really great athleticism and transitions well from Colorado State to the NFL, then I, yeah, like I said, Zach's looking for a third team, and I think he hits free agency or maybe a small trade option. But I think he looks for a, a retirement, a retirement state like that where it's a warmer climate, something that helps your body in the rehab process after a game. 
a little bit better. Yeah, and I think that was part of why he loved he went with Arizona because he had a great young quarterback, a great young coach. They love to throw it, but he's in a warm environment that's better on his body than Philadelphia. I mean, after how many years in Philadelphia, you're tired of the snow and the rain and just being cold six, seven, eight months out of the year. Now he's in Arizona and you're hot for 12 months out of the year. Uh-huh. So. You know, I, I, we're forgetting a crucial tight end on this list, you know, that is still in a very young part of his career, only been in the league for six years to those years, I don't think anyone truly remembers. And that's two of them with Baltimore, the last four with the Raiders. And that guy, can you guess him, Chance? I know who it is, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but I know who you're talking Darren, about. Darren Waller. And, you know, it brings up a great segue for us. You know, this, this tight end, you know, shades of greatness, but – now he's going in to another coaching change with the Las Vegas Raiders. And we've got Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels is coming in. We've got new additions to the offense as well with Devontae Adams. And can Derek Carr finally shake that monkey off his back and win a playoff game? You know? So now, Coach, it's time for your corner. Are the Raiders legit contenders? to compete for the AFC West. We teased it last week. Now I got to know your answer. Yeah. And as mind-boggling as it is, I think the Raiders fight for second place. And I think they get into the playoffs this year. I, second, I, who, so second place second against – Second in the division, sorry. So, I, oh, I, I, know, I knew what you meant, but second place against two because obviously – Chiefs are going to win the division. So is it going to be Raiders and Chargers there, or are the Broncos going to be that dark horse surprising everyone and competing for the top as well? You're going to hate this. I think it's going to be Raiders and Chargers going for the division. I think the Chiefs are going to be third, and I think Denver is going to get hit with injuries, and so they're going to fall to fourth. And I, I think the Chief, the Chiefs come up short because of the new offense and everything, and I don't think their run game is sufficient enough to hold them through the season, and it's not consistent enough. And and that's not because of the line. I think that's literally just because of their offensive, because of the running backs. Mm-hmm. And I was not happy with what they did in the draft. I felt like they should have got a bigger body running back. Um, which we can get into when we talk fantasy because yes. there is a guy on the Chiefs roster that I like as a rookie, but he's not ideal of what you need. But sticking with the Raiders, I think they fight for first, but I think they'll end up getting second. I think the Chargers are better overall. Um, I feel like they're more consistent. The Raiders are more flashy, and so they end up getting – head over, you know, head over their knees a little bit of stumbling too much and not being consistent enough, mm-hmm. uh, which part of that could have been just John Gruden himself. So we're not 100% sure on that yet. 
But I, yeah, I think the Raiders are a playoff team this year, and I think they actually get their first playoff win in a while. Now, you that last playoff win, you know, for all the marbles right here, Chance, when was that last playoff win? And don't look at the cheat sheet. You said it before in our pre-show talk, and I, I know it was like early 2000s. 2002 against the Titans, and they went up against the Buccaneers in that Super Bowl and lost to against who? John Gruden. Mm-hmm. The coach they just traded away at the time. Yeah, and I think I think history with the NFL is a lot different than college. Because and and you'll understand this, and I, I think our listeners will too. With college, your history is built around the school and the the environment. In the NFL, there's so much change, and the NFL stands for not. Uh, not for long because there's so much change with coaches and it's such players. a parody league yeah and so yeah they haven't won since 2002 but no I would be shocked if there's 25% I wouldn't say that I'd be shocked if there's 10% of the people that were in that organization from the top all the way to the bottom of that organization still around today. You know, and those you know those I mean? those employees that are probably still there aren't your, you know, front office execs or anything else because we know those have all changed places. We exactly. can guarantee we can guarantee you uh, you know, Mark Davis, you know, he was around obviously with his dad Al Davis, but you got to think other employees that might have been around then were probably like personal chefs and stuff like that. They weren't your big names. So they're, they're the behind the scenes employees of this organization that, you know, kind of take care of everyday operations, but they're not the football operations. Those are the employees that stick around long with an NFL team. It's not your front office execs and everything else. Yeah, exactly. So, like, your your culture and your environment change almost yearly to an extent. But every five years or decade at most, but I would say every three to five years, I mean, your culture and environment completely change almost mm-hmm. with every team. So, you know, yeah, it's been, you know, two decades since they've won, but... I that doesn't have any bearing or any hold in my eyes. I think this team is it has so much potential. And I, and I reflect on that word because it was it was something um, we were told as a defense one year at Ottawa that potential is the scariest thing. Because we we had, I think that year, I want to say it was my junior year, we were looking at a three-peat at conference championships, and 
I think the president of our school literally told our coach that potential is the scariest thing because we we had the potential to be the best defense in the KCAC had seen in a long time. Well, we we were ranked what number two going into that season as well. You know, we yeah. just we just came off a terrible loss in the playoffs. You know, against Missouri Valley, and next thing we know, we're then playing them second game of the season after Baker, um, if I remember correctly, and we completely blow them out at home. Yeah. So, so I say that with a grain of salt just because this team has the potential to be so good. But it's so hard to evaluate because you have a new coach. This is his second time being a head coach. So it makes you more concerned because you already have an idea of what he's going to do. And that didn't work the first time. So I think McDaniels, I think he kind of brings a little bit of his New England offense with him. But I'm interested to see how it's going to work. I think it does better for McDaniels this time because he doesn't have a a circus as a quarterback this time because he had Tebow. And Tebow... Well, and part of that was on McDaniels, though, because he wanted Tebow. Yes, he did want Tebow. But, I mean, still, that was a circus. And... I think it just brought a lot of distractions to that team. Yes, the mile oh, high, the mile high miracle against Pittsburgh in overtime, you know that was great. But it just brought so many distractions to that Denver team and just overshadowed what McDaniel's wanted to do. And it became too much about Tebow and the press and everything else. And the team got so wrapped up in that. And started losing. And that's when McDaniels and Broncos and everything, they decide to split ways. And he goes back to New England. I think this yeah. time, I think this time it is a lot better because he has himself a solid quarterback that you really have to think, you know, his last coach really didn't believe in him. You know, there was all the talk, you know, always with Gruden of, you know, well, no, I, I don't, I don't like Carr that much, you know, Give me Nathan Peterman or give me Mariota, stuff like that. You know, Gruden loved Nathan Peterman. And I don't know why you would love Nathan Peterman because he threw five picks in one game for Buffalo in one half, one half alone. But Gruden was sold on him and brought him in as a backup. And was it to scare Carr? I don't think so, but Gruden was, Gruden's crazy. And he didn't truly trust or believe in Derek Carr, I think. And now with Josh McDaniels coming in, he's got that system. He's got, you know, a solid quarterback. And it it could bode well for this Raiders offense. And I think with the additions they've had as well, you know, you have Darren Waller coming back, you know, coming off a great season. And now you add in Devontae Adams. What can Adams do to this offense? Absolutely. And just to hit on the quarterback thing real quick, 
it makes sense on why he fell in love with Tebow because the NFL hadn't seen a quarterback like that really since, you know, the 50s, really. Not a downhill running quarterback that just did stuff like that and that yes. who could who could throw but was able to do that. So he almost tried to reinvent the wheel a little bit with Tebow of, I think there's a little niche where if I can really line up what he's good at, we could be unstoppable, kind of like Florida was with him. They found what he was great at mm-hmm. and capitalized on it. He didn't do that. And so with Carr, you have a quarterback that is a better thrower. I think he's mentally better at understanding the game. Um, Tebow was smart and understood stuff, but he, I don't, I think he relied on his physicality and his running ability more than being able to break down the defense. And so, with that being said, Carr produces a better opportunity for him to succeed now. And this offense is a lot better than what the stats show, which is crazy to kind of say and talk about. But if you look at their yards per game, they're right behind Green Bay. Mm-hmm. They're 11. So they're they're a spot away from the top 10. And Green Bay had who at wide receiver? Adams. Behind Adams, you had your running back, Jones. And behind Jones, you had Cobb, which I love Cobb. I would have loved Dallas to use him more and utilize his ability better, which, of course, Dallas didn't do because they don't know how to run a a football team. But you bring in Adams – who is a top five wide receiver and you pluck him into an offense that's a 11th in yards per game with a defense who just finished the season six or seven games in a row with such consistency that put them in the playoffs. Now, stat-wise... The Raiders were, I think, 18th in passing. But you also have a team that didn't have a consistent run game. And when you don't have a consistent run game in the NFL, unless your quarterback is a top three guy, like Emma Holmes or even an Allen who hasn't had a consistent run game because if Singletary's hurt, they don't have a run game in Buffalo. No. So you're relying on Allen to throw the ball 50 times a game. Or run it. Carr, yeah, and Carr's not that. Carr is a 25 to 30 guy. I don't really like him hitting more than 30. He and gets sloppy. Because, he gets yeah. he gets sloppy. And it's not because he's bad. I think he just – I think he starts wearing himself out and he becomes predictable. Yes. 
And so he starts forcing things because defense are picking up on him quicker. So if you can eliminate that with a more solid run game, which what did McDaniels do in New England? He used two, three, even four running backs sometimes in his offense to change things up, provide different scenarios. And I think that's what he's going to do this year. Jacobs has been a degressing running back, which is sad to say, going from 1,100 to 1,000 to 800 yards. Part of that is injuries. His touchdowns have peaked at 12 his sophomore year. So his third year, he came in with nine, which is better than his rookie. If he doesn't get hurt, I think he probably hits 11 or 12. His receptions and receiving have gone up. He hasn't scored yet, which I think McDaniels is going to try to utilize him in the end zone a little bit more. In the red or red zone, I should say, in the inside the twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say end zone, I'm saying the ten yard line or in, and which is hard to do in the passing lanes. That that it, that's you're giving that yourself is, a really narrow gap of twenty yards to make a throw. I mean, when you're ten yards or less right there, you know, you're you're almost sh- shutting yourself out to being able to do anything in the passing game. I mean, yeah, you have you have such narrow windows. You really got to be looking at the corner. You've got to have a, a receiver or tight end that can be mobile, be able to shake multiple defenders at once, but be f- so physical at the same time and almost draw a pass interference. I mean that if you're within the ten and you're passing, you've got to be able to have a receiver that can draw a pass interference. Mm-hmm. You do and. I think Kenyon Drake brings a more consistent backup role where his yards are okay. He's not going to be a thousand yard running back. I know he almost was with the Cardinals two years ago, but I think, I think Drake is a 500 yard rusher. And a 200-yard receiver. I think he almost plays the the role of Tony Pollard in the Raiders offense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's not out there to play three downs. He's out there to play one or two downs and get him off the field. And then bring Josh back in and let him pound it. I think Josh can pound it if they utilize him correctly. The main goal is to keep Jacobs healthy, and that's been yeah. his biggest issue. And so they brought in Brandon Bolden. I I think that was just a death piece. I think they bring him in just to try him out. But I'm I'm really anticipating Samir White, the rookie that they they got from Georgia. Six foot, two fifteen. He's got a nice little build. This kid could be, and it's sad to say, but he could be Josh's replacement next year. If Josh doesn't have another good, solid, consistent year, he could be looking at getting traded or let go 
after his rookie contract, and this guy steps in and becomes the new guy. And that's sad to say, but it's the I mean, life of the running back now. Yeah, I mean he's 400 yards as a freshman, 780 as a sophomore, 856 as a junior, and his touchdowns are three, 11, and 11. His receptions aren't great, but I mean it's Georgia; like they weren't emphasizing throwing to the running back. It's not like ETN at Clemson or uh, Edwards. Like, Georgia is known for pounding the ball. Maybe a sweep here and there, but they're not a flashy running back type team. So I think he can catch, and he just didn't show that. And they might try to utilize him for that. And I think that would be interesting to do because he's – He's got the ability, I think, to do it. He just hasn't shown it yet because of the scheme Georgia ran. But with that being said, play action becomes a huge vocal point in this offense. I think if he wants to be identical to New England, he gets a two tight end set. And I don't think they're going to do that because I think – I think they can go back to just a single tight end set like they did with Gronk a little bit once Hernandez was gone. And they had a lot of success with that because you still brought in another top wide receiver. And so I think Adams puts this team over the top to be a top from 18 to I'm going to say a top eight offense. I know that's a big jump, but I think when you bring in one guy that can be a different changer like that, I think it opens up a lot for a lot of people. It does. I mean, it opens a lot of doors, like you said. I mean, for one, Adams to be able to potentially have some big games, but then two, um, you know, it opens up those other weapons on offense. It allows it does. Derek, it allows Carr to spread the ball a little bit more evenly it opens up that run game as well, you know, and allowing that run game to open up opens up play action. And if the Raiders can sell play action, you know, that's only going to allow for their offense to be able to get that, you know, quick dink here and there or a nice Mm -hmm. deep ball down the field as well. And, Um, and I think you're really going to like this next point I'm going to make. I really think you're going to like this. I, I don't think I am because it probably has to do with the Raiders beating the Chiefs somehow. No, 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 no. It actually has more of a comparison to Dallas. Okay. Waller needs to idolize his game to Jason Witten now. You don't have to be the focus point of the offense anymore. No, no, you don't. Become the possession guy. And this is what Witten got really good at as he aged, was he was great at the at the eight to twelve yard curl, where he sat, and then by the fourth or fifth time he ran that route, he did a good fake of where he sat, and once the linebacker stepped, he spun out of it and snuck behind him, and now you got a 15-20 yard play. I think this utilizes Walker. Waller to a better degree 
It helps him stay healthy, which has been his problem. I think if Waller stays healthy, the dude's a top five tight end. Yes. And if they if McDaniels can utilize him like Gronk and keep him healthy, don't he doesn't have to be the go vertical and drag the safety and linebackers vertical with him anymore. With Adams and Renfro, you have you have an opening to take advantage of defenses with this. If you can get Jacobs to be a threat at catching the ball, it's going to open up him more. And when you do play actions, especially in the red zone, play action in the red zone or end zone area are vital for an offense. Because if you can't pound it, which the Raiders have not been great at pounding the ball, if you can utilize and execute a great play action with a tight end who is good at a a delayed release, he alone can get five or six touchdowns on those type of plays. Yes. I mean, you saw it hand-in-hand with Gronk. Exactly. And look at who the head coach now is of the Raiders, the guy who ran that offense. Yes, exactly. And I think – I think he can do that with the Raiders. I would like to see, and and this is all circumstantial of everyone stays healthy and everything like that, but I really want to keep an eye out on what running backs or possibly other tight ends or third four, like a three or four wide receiver get cut from teams and if the uh-huh. Raiders are aggressive and go get somebody that they think they can utilize to help be an asset in another spot. Depending on how good White is as a rookie and picking up the offense and everything, I think he becomes a huge threat. And so if you got three wider three running backs. I think that offense becomes dangerous. Yes. Because if you think of New England, there was a period where they had James White, they had Burkhead, and they had um, – I can't think of the other guy's name right now off the top of my head. I'm picturing him had, right now. I'm picturing him too. Yeah. They had three running backs at one time that – they were almost rotating 100 yards a game. And the other two were still playing and getting 50 yards a game. And so I think this this team becomes dangerous on play action. It's, it's all that systematic offense. And it's really going to be interesting to see how Josh McDaniels implements this you know through the rest of these mini camps and everything else leading up into training camp and what he does you know when we finally get into training camp where training camp schedules and everything were just released today or yesterday I should say you know they were just released we have teams going to report right around the 26th of July so we're less than a month 
away, you know, of teams, quarterbacks reporting to camp. And so you, with this new system and, you know, wanting to implement so much and these new players coming in, training camp is going to be a fun time for the, for Raiders fans, I think. It's, it might be, I would say fun, but I would also say nail-biting as well. You know, how are all these pieces going to mesh together? Um, you know, and as we talk about training camp, I, I think it is a good segue into our next segment. And it's a fantasy football teaser, you know. Um, and who our top players are going to be um, going into training camp. Um, you know, I, I've got a few on top of my head, but I want to hear who you might have as a few couple guys to watch out for um, as we start getting ready for camp. Uh, what position do you want first? Or do you want just a couple guys? Just a couple of guys because, um, you know, we're going to our episode seven. I know we're on episode two right now, guys. But episode seven, you know, if you uh, about a month down the road now, uh, we're going to go dive in and really dig into fantasy, uh, fantasy football um, as we're, you know, camp is going to be starting that week. We really want to break down everything um, when it comes to fantasy football, who's going to be top players to watch out for, who's going to be our sleepers. Um, you know, what do you need to do when it comes to your draft? Um, you know, a lot of leagues don't draft until – you know, right around fantasy uh, training camp time or right after camp as the preseason starting to wrap up and going into week one of the season because they're afraid of all the injuries that could potentially happen during camp and preseason. So, you know, we're going to preview all that for you and really go in depth um, coming up on our show on July 29th. But, you know, to this one, you know, let's just kind of a few top players. I don't care what position they are. Um, but who you're, who are you looking at um, as we head into camp? Okay, so if we're talking re- redraft, I think someone that could be – I say he's a sleeper because for what I've been listening to from a lot of fantasy guys that I've, I've listened to, this person is someone they want to draft – but they always pick him up later in their drafts because they're doing a bunch of mocks right now. Mm-hmm. And I think this guy, he's slated a fight for the second running back role. But I really think this dude will take over. And it's Ken Walker for Seattle, the rookie running back. Chris Carson has injury history. Penny has in- injury history. I think the door opens up for Walker to step in and be a 700-yard guy, maybe, you know, six, 700-yard rushing guy, and possibly be a six-touchdown guy. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but if he's your third option at running back, I think he could be kind of a steal that people sleep on because of the – focus right now in Seattle is run the ball. They don't have a quarterback that they trust just yet. They don't have – they have two great wide receivers, but if you can't trust the quarterback to get the ball to them, 
they're going to have to rely on on a running back. And I think right now Walker is that guy I would highlight. And it's like you said, the injuries are, you know, the questions of injuries with Carson is going to play a huge factor. And if you can pick up Walker, you know, second, third round, you know, I, I don't know if you maybe go that high with him, but if you kind of pick him up there, you know, he could be a good one, as you said, a running back two option for you or a bye week option guy as well. When you start having, you know, to watch that later on down in the season as well, he, he could be that guy that is able to pick you up. Maybe if you're looking at a PPR league and everything else, you know, maybe 10 to 12 points a game, if not a little bit more, kind of all depends on how many touches he gets, how many yards, um, and is he, if he's able to find the end zone and where are they giving him his carries at. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, he, he's definitely, you know, like you said, a good one to watch. And I think he's a good receiving option. He didn't show a lot of it at Michigan State. Just like White, it's because the scheme and offense he was in at the school he was at didn't utilize that as much. And so I yes. think he has more of a receiving option threat in him than what people think. And so I think that's how he'll be able to sneak away and get you two or three receiving points because of that. Who's your second guy you're looking at? <sighs> the second guy I'm looking at and this is hard for me to say because I, I'm not a 49ers guy. But my second guy, and I, and I might not personally go after this guy just because, of, just because of the scheme the 49ers run. But I do have him on a on a uh, dynasty league, which I'm not sure if I still want to keep him, but I probably will. It's Brandon um, Ayuka. For the 49ers, with Debo Samuel having the year he had, all eyes are going to be on double teaming him. George Kittle has, I'm, I'm sorry, he's not a top tight end. He's had one really good year, two above average years. He's not an elite guy. I, I think he's overrated. And so I don't think he's as big as a threat as people think he is, but I think Brandon can really be a sleeper guy and be your third option at wide receiver in your starting lineup, or maybe, you know, a, a buy guy, you know, on the bye week, slot him in there. And if Trey Lance takes over this offense, like many people assume he will, I think that only opens stuff up for him more because Trey is athletic and can move out of the pocket. And so he's going to be able to utilize his feet to move the defense. And if everybody's tracking Debo, and Mahomes is really good at this, if everyone is tracking one player and kind of flowing with them, man, if one guy just has common sense like Travis Kelsey of just let me sit in the middle of the field while everyone leaves and mm-hmm. traces Tyree Kill, I'm open. And Mahomes sees that. And I think, I don't know if I trust Trey Lance to see that yet, 
But for everything we've heard, Trey Lance is performing phenomenously right now, which is suspect is expected for scouts and people to say that, especially yeah. at this time of the year. But I think he can be that type of wide receiver that he's the second option. Kittle kind of gets, you know, teamed up on linebackers and they try to play him a little rougher. Devo moves the defense. He can kind of sit in the middle of the field and be the second option behind the defender and get a lot of um, last-second passes. And I think you have to question what is San Francisco going to do with Debo Samuel Debo Samuels anyway. They still haven't given him a contract extension. You know, what what is Debo going to do? Is he going to hold out? One, I think he should. He deserves more money. Um, but disagree. I think for that offense, he deserves more money with the roles he's playing. I don't think it needs to be an outrageous amount of money. Um you know, it doesn't need to be something like a Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill type deal or anything else like that. I think a middle of range, middle of the pack, you know, higher higher end middle, you know, would be good for him. But for the roles he's doing in that offense and the numbers he's producing, he definitely should have a little bit more money um, and a little bit more say with that offense as well. Um, so it, I, I can got, agree with that. You got to look at San Francisco and scratch your head and say, hey, what are you going to do? Because if he holds out or decides, no, um, you know, trade me or something like that, Ayuk is uh, definitely going to have a bigger role as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think it's hard to pay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so well, sorry. She- Three. I think with Samuels, with his injury history, it's hard for them to pay him. And so I agree, they should pay him, but no, he shouldn't be paid what he's wanting because he's not shown it. He's had one consistent year. Yes. And so if you do pay him, it needs to be maybe a little above the middle tier. But if you go about it the right way and front load the contract where you make more this year and next year and it starts evening out at the end and bottoms, you're I think you're going to be able to save more money and make his contract more movable and negotiable. Yes, or do what a lot do what a lot of teams are doing now, too. And a lot majority of these contracts now starting to become guaranteed money, you know through bonuses and stuff like that or just a straight up guaranteed contract you know if it's something maybe san francisco has to has to do there to say hey you know here's your money you want it is guaranteed but this is how we're going to spread it out for you Mm -hmm. you know take that to the table for him and see if maybe that's something he's he's willing to work with absolutely and i i completely agree agree with that you know I think Debo's best fit for him is the 49ers unless and there's no way the 49ers would do this but Green Bay is the only other team right now maybe Houston that doesn't have a top wide receiver that they're desperate for 
And so I don't see the 49ers trading them, trading him to Packers, but it is a possibility. Just Green Bay doesn't have the assets besides draft picks right now. Yeah. So well, Green Green Bay needs to figure out what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. I think he's gone, but for my last one, this might surprise you a little bit, and he's kind of, he's a sleeper for me because he had such a rough rookie season, mm-hmm. and part of that was just because of what was going on. But I'm going to say a sleeper for me right now is Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay. They brought in Christian Kirk, who believes he's a top-tier wide receiver, so he's going to get the best opportunity to prove it. Zay Jones was a great two sometimes, mostly a three option for the Raiders. He's going to be the number two option right now at wide receiver. They go in and bring Evan Ingram's in at tight end, which I was big on Evan when he first came out and he was with the Giants. He had a good rookie year. He got banged up. He got beat up. I fell off on him. But his new transition to Jacksonville, I think, opens it up. Well, it's a bigger – it's – Right now, for the looks of it, it's a better organization. It's a better fit for him, and it's a better just environment. So I really think it provides him with three solid options. And he has the possibility to really make this team a surprise in the AFC. And the real threat is Travis Etienne. Yes. With that, he he's not a sleeper to me. Even though he was hurt last year, he's not a sleeper to me. Because this is a guy that people are drafting high because of his athletic ability. And he, I think he is going to be what... Kansas City was hoping Clyde Edwards-Alaire was going to be. Well, I think it bodes well anyways that him and Lawrence already have a history together. Yes, that they, that helped so much. Then it having that relationship from college already and that mesh and the timing down on a handoff and everything already, and especially when it comes down to play action as well. You know, yes, the game is faster at the NFL level, but if they already have that connection to the timing and what they, you know, do together already down, that just makes them better as a duo. And so ETN, he is going to be very dangerous. And I think then it only bodes well for, you know, like you said, for Lawrence's numbers, especially if they can get the run game going with ETN, but then get uh, the play action going, it opens up a lot more options in that passing game, you know, and Lawrence is an athletic quarterback as well. So if he doesn't see something, he's going to run for it as well. Absolutely. And 
I didn't like Peterson at, at the Eagles. And most of that was just because he was the Eagles coach. But he's he did such a phenomenal job with Wentz. And then when they brought in Foles, he was able to capitalize on what Foles was great at. Yes. And really succeeded with it and won a championship. Trevor Lawrence has the he has the ability to kind of be an in-between of Wentz and Foles. He's got the size and athletic ability of Wentz, but I, I don't think Wentz mentally gets it as much as Foles does. I think Foles gets it better than he can athletically perform, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. we, we all know that one person that is so good at football in their head because they understand everything, they break it down, and they know what's going to happen. But athletically, it just doesn't come to come to be. And I, I kind of think Foles is that guy where the, the stars just lined up perfectly for him in Philadelphia where that happened. And so it produced a great year. And I think Peterson is good at utilizing and finding what makes this quarterback work? What makes him good? What makes him great? And what makes him uncomfortable? And how can we take the uncomfortable part, strengthen it up enough where if we get put in this position and it's like, hey, the safety's coming down. They're rolling three over top. It's not a great look. I know you don't like this and you're under pressure, but guess what? We've ran this so many times in practice you know the two plays that we can run from here. You've got to call it. You've got to do it. Uh, I think what helps with that is Peterson knowing that position, you know, with him being a former quarterback and him, you know, he was more so Doug Peterson was compare him to Chase, Chase, uh, Chase Daniels. You know, he was that veteran guy on the sidelines as that number two backup quarterback, but he was, he already was in that coaching mode when he was still in the, in the league as an active player and mm-hmm. then going through the Andy Reed coaching tree as well and learning from yes. Big Red, you know, that only elevated his game and elevated, you know, his coaching philosophy and what he can bring to the table. And now he's got such a great young moldable quarterback that brings, you know, untapped potential. And this is the first time ever Trevor Lawrence is lost, you know, and not winning. And so he's going to come out this season and be hungry. And he's a, I'm calling him a, he's one to watch out for, for me, um, you know, because he, he's going to be hungry. And Doug Peterson, I think him and Lawrence are going to be a great matchup together just because of what they both bring to the table for each other. And Jacksonville in three to four years, if that, you know, look out for some AFC South titles, look for some playoff wins potentially, you know, there, there's going to be some good, good things coming out of Jacksonville and Duval County, you better watch out. No, absolutely. And 
I'm looking at the Eagles Super Bowl roster right now. Their running back was LeGarrette Blunt. Mm-hmm. Jay, I always say his name wrong. Jay Ajayi. Jay, Jay, Jay Ajayi. Ajay. Yes. And I'm trying to see what the next running back option was, and it does not give me a third option, which is not accurate. But that that kind of mentally makes me think of James Robertson and Travis Etienne. Yes. Actually, Travis Etienne is an upgrade from Jay. Jay was good in his specific roles, but I think he's an upgrade athletically. Yes, I mean, ETN can get it done in the backfield, but then he can also get it out into the flats and catch the ball as well and make a defender miss. Mm-hmm. So I, I really think this team, yeah, Jay was six foot 223, Blunt was six foot 247. ETN is what, five, nine, five, ten? And built like a bowling ball. Yeah, he's probably two. I'll, I'll probably say he's about two hundred five, but he's thick. And then he's... Robinson is solid. That dude's built like a house. Yes. So if he can get healthy and stay healthy, I think you really, you really almost build a thunder and lightning combo that USC had back in 04. That's a big like stretch and like two decades ago type of thing, but some people understand the reference. Yes. I uh, it, it it's going to be fun to see. Um you know, so there's three good players to watch out for. Um I'm excited to see what our fantasy show brings us um and what you bring to the table as well. Um when it comes to that and see who all in each position um, we're going to look for. Um, One big name out there that is always circling, you know, high on the draft board is Alvin Kamara. Um, You know, going into this season now, the Saints have a new head coach. They, you know, Jameis Winston's still there. Um, you know, but what is what's going to happen with uh, Jameis? You know, is he going to stay healthy? Can can he do? Can he get back to eating dubs? You know, as he likes to say. But you have to question Kamara as well. You know, with the off the field incident he had this past season in Las Vegas. You know, he's got a looming suspension potentially. You know, potentially going to miss the first six games of the season. So if you're a fantasy owner. Are you going to pick him up or are you going to let him slide on the draft board to later later rounds or wait and see if he's going to be available on the waiver wire after um, after the draft? I, he gets picked up. I don't think it's it'll be it would be rare for him not to get drafted because there's always that one guy in the league that going to go I don't care I'm going to hold him for six weeks before I play him see and I, I'm just not that guy I can't have a roster spot just sitting vacant like that you know especially with guys no. especially with guys like Kamara if you're doing a league like ESPN 
ESPN has some guys to where if you pick them up, you cannot cut them because of the star name they are. Um, you know, they have. And so you've got to be careful with some of the guys you pick up because the only way you can get rid of them is through a trade bin. And I'm not going to look to keep, you know, Kamara on my roster until he's out of that suspension if it does happen. And even then, you know, is he going to produce? His numbers have fallen off, you know, last couple seasons. You know, yes, he had some great games. Don't get me wrong. But they're not of what we have expected of Kamara um, when it comes down to it. No. And honestly, I don't like his schedule. I'm not a I'm not a Kamara guy. I think he's great athletically. I've never been a fantasy guy with him. And the six games he's going to miss is Falcons, Buccaneers, Panthers, Vikings, Seahawks, Bengals. Three of those games are favorable for the run game for the Saints. Uh-huh. I don't see the Saints being a great offense this year, but run game-wise, and for him being a passing threat as well, I think – the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Seahawks kind of provide a great opportunity for the run game to kind of succeed. And maybe the Vikings, depending on how their defensive line looks early in the season. But until the last, honestly, until the last two games of the year and three out of the last four games of the year, I wouldn't want him. Because after his suspension's up, they go to the Cardinals. They go to they have the Raiders, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Rams, the 49ers, the Buccaneers. That's tough. One, two, three, four, five, six out of those five teams have top run game defenses. And so you don't get anything until the last four games of the season. You have the Falcons, the Browns, the Eagles, and the Panthers. At that point in the season, I think the Browns could be an elite defense. The Eagles, I think, are going to be mediocre on defense. The Panthers are young, so I think you're going to be able to make some plays on them. And I think the Falcons are young and are going to be wore out to where – you don't have anything. If you get him, you're holding on to him until the last four games of the season. Which, it, it doesn't bode well for you if you're a fantasy owner. Mm-mm. Now, maybe you would pick him, up in a, pick him up in a best ball league and just put him on your roster, and if he goes off and has a great game... I guess the Buccaneers one week, you know, or he goes off and has a great game against the 49ers, then, yeah, it works out for you, and that's great. But if you're in a redraft league where you're paying attention every week and setting your lineups, I don't want to take the risk on holding a guy for six weeks that I can't use. And then by the middle of the season, I'm too scared to play him because the defenses the defenses he's playing are – top-level defenses. Exactly. So, 
I mean, this is oh. where as it's it's where as a fantasy owner you really got to weigh, you know, your options and really dive into the type of league you're going to get yourself into, and then not many fantasy owners are in depth as we are. You know, they don't go and look at the schedules, you know, like we do and what the players are going to go up against and everything else and, you know, the type of matchups. But there's still the guys that are out there and the gals that are out there that dig into fantasy football that hard. And they're going to, you know, break it down like we do. But then you have your casual fantasy footballer out there, too, that just sees the big name like Kamara. And this is where we've got to shed some light on him and go, hey, wait a second. Don't don't take him just yet. You might want to wait for that um, unless you you feel comfortable keeping him on the bench for six weeks. And then by then, is is he your number one? Is he a number two? Or is he your guy that he's just going you're going to throw into that slot position right down there? You know, get you a few points each week until he has that big game later on, um, you know, potentially against the Bucks or you know, another matchup down, down the road, but it's going to be a tough schedule if he gets suspended and when he returns from that suspension as well. Exactly. And I, and I'm going to say this. I, I, feel think, a bold, I, feel, I feel a bold prediction coming. I wouldn't say it's really a bold prediction, but it's a questionable decision for some people. I would rather pick up Deshaun Watson and hold him and see what happens there than to pick up Kamara. Even though I know Kamara is gone for six weeks and he has the potential to play out the rest of the season, I don't know what Watson's looks like right now, but his schedule looks more favorable and I'd rather pick him up as a third option at quarterback or depending on your league settings, your second or third option, mm-hmm. then I would pick it up Kamara. Who and who was the other running back that got suspended? I want to mm-hmm. say Melvin Gordon, but I don't think that's right. Oh, I don't believe it was. No. Um, gosh, now you're now you're really throwing one out there for me. I might be thinking of somebody else. I, I think you are. Um, I might have been thinking DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, because Hop- Hopkins, you know, is the last big name to get suspended. Um, looking at it right now um, from Sport Track, and this is uh, for the 2022 season. Um, players that are right now suspended, um, and fined. Um, you have Justin Hillard of the Giants. Um, he is fined ninety-one thousand six hundred sixty-six dollars for PED. Um, you have Daniel Igalal, um, defensive tackle, New England. 
Um, undisclosed infraction fined $107,222.22. So the NFL really making sure they get that $0.22. Cents. Um, Andre Smith, inside linebacker of Buffalo, PEDs, uh, he was fined $390,423. And then the big one, um, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, of course, of the Cardinals, fined $5,233,333.50 for PEDs. Um, you know, another big name that you have, uh, you know, suspended as well is Calvin Ridley. Um, mm-hmm. suspended, suspended indefinitely for the gambling issues um, that he says he wasn't partaking in, um, but we all know he was. Um, but it's it's a okay, risk. So here's my question: Would you rather pick up Hopkins as your Let's say, let's say your league is a. Well, I mean, if if Kamara gets suspended six games as well, I mean they're both out the first six games of the season, no matter what. Exactly. So, would you rather in a two running back, three wide receiver flex league? I would, would rather have rather Hopkins. Pick up... Exactly. I would rather hold on to Hopkins for six weeks and then put him in as my. Third or fourth option, third or fourth option for wide receiver, where he could maybe have a breakout game against Seattle, the he, Vikings, the Patriots. Hopkins just produces. Hopkins just produces more when it comes to that offense. I mean, he's a guy that not only one attracts defenders, but he can get away from them and draw that big, big play to himself as well and make a game changing play and with yes. having a quarter have with having a quarterback like Kyler Murray and then having Zach Ertz, that's going to be healthy, you know, and James Connor in the running back position, it, it bodes well for Hopkins and for you to pick up Hopkins and keep him on that bench until his suspension is up and then play him. Um, yeah. You know, it, it makes more sense than picking up Kamara. And I think if, if you're going, if you take Kamara, over Hopkins or you decided, you know, do Kamara and just ride the bench with him until it his suspension is up if he does get suspended, which, you know, with the type of incident that happened too, I, I, I could see something more than six games as well. I mean, if the NFL really wants to, you know, take a stand because these players are really starting to have, you know, the domestic violence and, assault you know cases arise again you know the nfl really needs to go whoa hey you know if you're going to start getting into domestic instances you know whether it's a fight at a bar or something like that or you know a spousal disagreement or anything his his happened to be in vegas with you know a bar fight you know the nfl needs to go whoa no you need to do some you know classes do something like that you're going to sit out, you know, majority of the season. You're going to pay a hefty fine, and then we will reevaluate you and clear you then to come back to the league. But, you know, you have to pass all of our requirements first, you know, before you're going to be allowed to play again. And I, I these players make so much money that 
it just kills me when I see them getting into trouble like this. Um, you know, whether it's a gun charge or, you know, drug charge or something like that, or, you know, an instance like this, or you have, uh, who was the kid for the Raiders? Was it, uh, um, Henry Ruggs, you know, with what he did, yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's never going to play it down in the league again. He's going to jail, you know, um, gosh, these, these kids and they, they are kids. They are making so much money that they should have a handler or something with them. Um, you know, I, it's a, it's a difficult one to talk about. Um, we're going to save it for another show. Um, Chance is having some technical difficulties on his side. Um, just kind of one thing we have to play with here and there with us, uh, with me being in the Dallas Metro, Chance being in the tallest, uh, Tulsa area. Um, we have, you know, technology sometimes isn't our friend. Um, but, uh, you know, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Um, at sport at sports trenches podcast drops every Friday, 10 AM. Uh, look out for a new episode, um, next week. So the next two weeks, we're going to, uh, do something special for you guys. Uh, we're going to episode three is going to be kind of starting off a little two episode series where we're going to talk about what got us into football. Um, and, what drove our passion and love for the game and also into sports as well. Um, so I'm really excited with that. We're going to start off with my story next week. And then um, episode four, we'll talk about Chance's story and, you know, what really, what really got him motivated into the game and then also into coaching and everything else. Um, episode five, we're going to do a, a preview of the entire AFC leading up into training camp and, you know, maybe break down some franchise players there and, you know, fantasy potentially there as well. Um, and maybe give you some predictions there too. And then episode six, we're going to break down the NFC episode seven that week going into training camp, right? When camp is getting started with we report uh, players reporting and everything else, we're going to give you that full fantasy breakdown, um, including fan, fran our franchise players as well. Uh, so really looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, guys, thank you for tuning in again. Um, follow us on Twitter, check out that website. Um, we're going to start getting stuff posted on there as the season gets started. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you've got any feedback, anything you want to hear here on the podcast, let us know, reach out to us. Um, we want to say thank you to everyone that is tuning in, giving us a follow, giving us a like everything. Um, can't do it without you guys. So thank you so much. And, you know, till next time, you know, for Chance, the Coach Clemens, I'm Sean Ludden, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of In the Trenches Sports.